join me in, and of course the words will be on the screen, the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? This letter was written to people who are being pulled away from their loyalty to Jesus. The author of this letter is most likely, by far the most evidence, is Barnabas. The earliest declaration of who the author of this letter was, was it comes from a fellow by the name of Tertullian, <laughs> who lived between about 155 A.D. and 220 A.D., and he was a renowned leader in the church, and he just is a passing comment. And one of his letters says, the author of the letter to Hebrews, as we all understand that author to be, Barnabas, it wasn't even an issue, it wasn't a controversial thing, he's just reminding them what they already all know, the author of this letter, Barnabas, the companion for many, many years of Paul in his ministry. 
Barnabas, when Paul and Silas separated from Barnabas and Mark, remember Paul and Barnabas for many years, they, they ministered together. They, they evangelized, they set up churches, they established churches in, in what is modern day Turkey, Asia Minor is what that's called geographically, in Greece and Macedonia, they established churches. And while they were in that process, this fellow, the nephew of Barnabas, Mark, got frightened. And he left them because they were in dire circumstances and he fled. And later on, when Paul and Barnabas were planning, okay, what are we going to do? I think we, Paul said, we need to go back and vi- revisit those churches that we established there in Asia Minor and Macedonia and Greece. And Barnabas said, that's fine. And I want to take my nephew, Mark, with us. And Paul said, time out, time out, wait, 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 wait. You mean the guy that deserted us in the midst of ministry? You want to bring him with us? Uh, I don't think we, that would be the wise thing for us to do, Barnabas. Well, Barnabas said, I want to give my nephew Mark another chance. And so Paul, in the company of Silas, he went back and did what Paul was suggesting, and Barnabas and Mark went a different direction. Well, the most likely direction from where they were was to go to the island of Crete and then go on to North Africa. And that is where they went. They went to North Africa. That was part of the Roman Empire. All of North Africa was part of the Roman Empire. And they went there, and of course, there were Jewish synagogues all over the Mediterranean Roman world. And Paul, excuse me, Barnabas and Mark went to North Africa, did a wonderful work did a wonderful work. By the way, later in one of his later epistles, the Apostle Paul recommends Mark for ministry. He has been loyal. He has been very useful to God in ministry. So Paul's recognition of Mark's gifting and loyalty in days that followed, he acknowledged Mark's value. But Barnabas and Mark established these churches in North Africa, and this letter is being written several years later from Italy because the author will say, your Italian brothers send you greetings, being written from Italy back to North Africa. Well, what has happened in the ensuing years? These people, forming many congregations, had stood for Christ in the midst of, of great persecution, great persecution, great persecution, and they become tired. Their hands are hanging down, their knees are weak, and there is a Jewish cult there in North Africa that is attracting them. Not standard old Judaism of the sort that rejected Jesus, No, this is a Jewish cult that also rejects Jesus that actually elevates angels. Oh, they, they, you know, we actually need to be revering and perhaps even worshiping angels because angels in the, in the pantheon, you know, they, God has made great use of angels. So we need to really begin giving recognition to the angels. And this is the cult that's drawing them. Well, why are they being attracted by this cult? For one single reason, not because their message is so wonderful, but because any time you diminish the gospel, any time you add anything to the gospel, 
the persecution starts to go away. It is only people who stand forthrightly in their cultures and civilizations for the king of kings. Who is the king of Nero? Jesus of Nazareth, who dwells at the right hand of the Father. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the God of gods. Anytime you stand against the establishment and their power structure and draw worship or adoration away from them and fix your eyes on Jesus, they get jealous. They get angry. That's why, for example, right now, the persecution in India is greater than it has ever been. The persecution of the church in India. Why? Because there are so many Hindus that are abandoning the Hindu gods and goddesses in favor of Jesus. And the upper caste Hindus are really offended because they're not getting the reverence and worship they formerly got from these people who are abandoning the Hindu gods and goddesses in favor of Jesus. And this is also true in many other cultures. But these believers in North Africa, they've been standing for Christ, but their hands are hanging down, their knees have become weak, and they are being drawn by this cult. And so Barnabas is writing to them to, to restore them, to grant to give them courage, to give them encouragement, but also to rebuke the false teaching. And of course, what does he say here? The Son, the Son, the Son is the one whom you should revere. Notice what he says in the first verse. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Stop. Look at Moses. Look at Jeremiah. Look at Elijah, Elisha. Look at Isaiah. Look at all of these prophets. And he is not diminishing them at all. But he's saying God formerly spoke to our fathers through the prophets by various means. Sometimes it was penmanship. Sometimes it was messages received. In writing, sometimes it was messages spoken out. Sometimes it was messages in the form of miracles. Various, he spoke to the fathers through the prophets in various methodologies. By various, at various times, in various ways. In these last days, is spoken to us by his Son. Now, if you have a Bible in front of you, I'm not sure how it is on the screen, but, but yes, it is on the screen. His is in italics, which means that word was inserted by the translators because it sounded smoother. It strikes our English ears, English-speaking ears more smooth. By his son. Stop. No. Let's take that word out. Why? Because Barnabas is deliberately being stark. He spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now he's spoken to us by son. Son. There's a difference. One is a messenger. The other is a messenger who is the son. 
I read to you earlier at the beginning of this worship service from Mark chapter 12 about the man who built the vineyard and then he leased the vineyard to other people and then he sends back to the vine dressers. It's time for the harvest. He sends the vine dressers back one at a time. And as it says at the close of the passage, the Jewish leaders who are hearing this, they know he's speaking about them. How did they treat? How did the vine dressers treat the servants who had come to get their share of the crop? They beat them. They shamed them. They killed them. How did the Jewish people, especially their leaders, treat the prophets? With shame. Isaiah, we're told by Jewish history, Isaiah was stuffed in a hollow log and sawn in two. Jeremiah was kidnapped and taken to Alexandria, Egypt, where he was there and murdered by Jews in Alexandria. The prophets were treated typically shamefully by the Jewish people. But what does Jesus say there in Mark chapter 12? Oh, the man who owns the vineyard, I will send my son Surely they will respect him. And instead, what is their response? Ah, this is the heir of the vineyard. Let's kill him. And then the vineyard will be ours. And what's the last verse of that passage? The Jewish leaders knew he spoke this against them. Let me ask you a question. Did Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests, the members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leaders, the members of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, did they know who Jesus was? Yes, they did. They knew he was the Messiah. They had every evidence. And many in the Jewish leadership believed, like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, and there were many others that did believe. But it says they didn't come out publicly because they didn't want to lose their positions. They knew who he was. God, he sent to our fathers the prophets, and then he sent the Son. The Son. And this is, this is going from minor league to major league. This is a big step up. This is God the Son. Jesus could say of himself as he does in John 14, 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. There is no distinction between the reality and character or power of the Father and the Son. He who has seen me has seen the Father. I am God come in the flesh. Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was in a face-to-face -face relationship with God. And this is the Greek order and word order, and God was the Word. And the Word became flesh and tabernacle, tented among us, just like the Shekinah glory of God, the glory of His presence in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, and later the temple. He is he is God come in the flesh and he tabernacled, he tended among us and we beheld his glory. Glory as, the, as of the only begotten of the Father, the Son, the Son. That's who we're talking about. That's who we're talking about. 
This is what Barnabas is he's saying. Understand the honor that God gave you by sending His Son to you. This is a greater honor than if He had sent you Moses. This is a greater honor than if He had sent you Elijah. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter, James, and John go up with Jesus onto the Mount of Transfiguration, and they saw Jesus transfigured, and the glory of God radiated out of from him, and Moses and Elijah appeared with him on that mountain. They're conversing with him, and knucklehead Peter <laughs> says, Oh, Lord, let's build three tents, three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And God the Father reached down and went smack, smack. Okay, that's an example. What does God say to Peter, James, and John? This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Not Moses, not Elijah. Is God <coughs> denying Moses and Elijah, no. He's saying, Peter, <laughs> don't put my son on the same level as Moses and Elijah. He is a gigantic step up. Moses and Elijah never would have said, he who has seen me has seen God. No. But Jesus did. And there was nothing about what he had ever said or done that would have brought that declaration into question. He has in these last days spoken to us by Son. Stark contrast. Whom he has appointed heir of all things. The entire creation is his. In the Roman world, the word son meant the heir of the estate. God the Son become flesh. Jesus of Nazareth is the heir of the entire creation estate. He has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. He is the creative agent of the Godhead. In the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. And John 1, 1, in the beginning, was the Word, the speaker, and the speaker was in a face-to-face -face relationship with God, and God was the speaker. He is the creative agent of the Godhead. In these last days, he has spoken to us by Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, what did Peter, James, and John say? They saw the glory. Now, as much as they could withstand without being burned up, <laughs> they beheld his glory, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person... He who has seen me has seen the Father. There is no distinction between the reality of who God the Son is and the reality of who God the Father is in their essence. 
who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. He holds all things together. Paul's letter to the Colossians, by him all things, now the King James says, by him all things consist. By him all things are held together. Why is it that the universe doesn't fly apart? Honestly, the universe is a bundle of energy. What keeps it together instead of flying apart, just exploding? He's holding it together. Our very existence is dependent upon the reality of God the Son holding all things together in the exercise of his power from one nanosecond to the next nanosecond to the next nanosecond. Otherwise, it would all fly apart, upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins. He solved our largest problem. We're going to be commemorating this when we come to the Lord's table. Jesus purged us of the guilt of our sins. He took the guilt of our sins upon himself. All of the hell all of the lake of fire for an eternity that you and I rightly deserved was placed upon him. And he was judged, righteously judged for our sins. As John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, the sinless one, who takes away the sins of of the world. He is our Redeemer. The oldest book in our Bible, the book of Job. This is an ancient known promise. This was a message Job had received, and he's a couple generations before Abraham. I know, Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer lives. Lives, present tense, and shall stand on the earth. And though after my flesh worms destroy this body, still from within my flesh I will see God. He is the Redeemer God. And this has been from Genesis chapter 3. Lucifer, serpent, you will bruise, I'm going to take a seed from the woman, you will bruise his head, his, he will bruise your head, you will bruise his heel. who upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He had finished the job. It's time to sit. <laughs> I'm done. Sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, which is also the place of authority. Having become so much better than the angels, those beings whom you are being drawn to worship, having become so much better than the angels that he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. His reputation, his name, is far above anything any angel would, um, other than Lucifer, would attempt to have endowed upon them. For to which of the angels did he ever say, and all of these are quotations from the Hebrew Scriptures, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. These are all in the Hebrew Scriptures explaining the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Yes, the concept of the Trinity is found in the Hebrew Scriptures. It doesn't begin. That revelation isn't new with the New Testament. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now that first one, you are my son, today I have begotten you, is about, it's actually expressed first to David when he became king of Israel, but then David dies. David and then all the descendants of David. But here is this, Jesus, when he became king, he became the son. All things came into his hands. You are my son today upon the, you're taking your place at my right hand. Today I've begotten you. That's a way of saying you've stepped into the fullness of your inheritance. And I will be to him, and again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. God the Father addressing God the Son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, talking about the second coming of Christ, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. What is the relationship of the angels to the Son? They are worshipers of the Son. They're not competing with him. They're not competing with him. Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he said, who makes his angels spirits, it's the word breath. And his ministers a flame of fire. What are, what are the angels compared to the Jesus who is the eternal God? They're, they're a flame on a candle. They're a, in fact, that's one of the names for one of the classes of angels is the burning ones, the seraphim. The burning, the angel, they're the ones that are fiery angels that lead the worship of the Lord in the, in the Holy of Holies in the, in the heavenly temple. That all the angels of God worship him, and of the angels who makes his, he makes his, angel, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, he, God says, your throne, O God. This is God the Father addressing God the Son. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Jesus has taken his place on the throne. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, Elohim, your God, your Elohim, has anointed you. That's what Messiah means, anointed of God. Mashiach, the Hebrew word Mashiach, which we anglicize to Messiah, and then we get from the Greek, we get Christos, Christ, means anointed. When in ancient Israel, when a king became a king, he didn't get a crown put on his head. They anointed him with oil. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And when they would have a great banquet or a great party, they would bring people and they would anoint them with oil. 
That was one of the things you did to honor people coming to your party. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness, of joy, more than your companions. There is no comparison between the anointing on Jesus and of those who are also attending the banquet. And you, Lord, speaking of Jesus from the Hebrew Scriptures, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. What did the Apostle John say in John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and by Him all things were created. You, Lord, notice it's all in capital letters, Yahweh, Yahweh, you, Yahweh, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. This earth is passing away we're going to have a new heavens and a new earth you laid the foundation of the earth the work heavens are the work of your hands but they will perish but you remain he was lord here and he will be lord there and then they will perish but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. This is the Redeemer, the Redeemer God, who came to these people when Barnabas and Mark brought the gospel to them. This is the Redeemer God who was actually using Barnabas and Mark and bringing the gospel to them, the one actually speaking to them was this Redeemer God. Was this Redeemer God. They will be changed, but you, uh, but you, Lord, are the same, and your years will not fail. And this is the one who came to them. God didn't send angels to them. Angels are used... Well, an angel, it just means an announcer, a messenger. <laughs> Angels have been used by God, but they're always pointing to Jesus. Remember the angels that appeared to the shepherds? Hey, you shepherds, you need to go to Bethlehem and see the real lamb. They were probably the shepherds of the temple flock, the flock that a whole lot of the Passover lambs came from. And they were the shepherds being sent to Bethlehem by angels. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? We prayed earlier for our brothers and sisters around this world who are experiencing persecution. The day is coming when those for whom we prayed and, those who have pr and we ourselves with them, we will have a seat in the presence of God the Son the master of all things. 
God said to him, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool, and we will be present with him when all of his mastery, all of his lordship will be absolutely in front of everyone's eyes and undeniable. Are they, the angels, not ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? God sends the angels to serve you. God sends the angels to serve you. Stop this nonsense of revering them instead of the God who sends them. Stop it. But why are they in any way? Why has this ever occurred to them to do this? Because, as we're going to see as we continue through this, they have endured a great suffering because of their loyalty to Jesus. But what do they need to be? They need to be reminded of the fact that their loyalty to Jesus has been worth everything they've lost because of that loyalty. Every pain they've endured, every loss that they have experienced has been well worth it. Don't give up your understanding of the promised kingdom glory. He's coming. And when he comes, he will have come forever. He is our Redeemer. And so as we come to the table, it is with that understanding.